it's incredible how much the things that we spoke about back then um, really have stayed with me. Uh, you know, during the process of what we talked about, Dr. D, I hated it. I was like, oh, I got to meet with Dr. D this week. He's going to make me talk about <laughs> my, my death and my, my, you know, my obituary. And I don't know. And um, it was so difficult, but it, it really has set the stage for me to live a fulfilled and happy life. I had so many, much inquiry in the, in the past few weeks and months. I'm like, it's like one of those things, like, am I, is this like my sign to jump into it, you know? Hello, and welcome to the Dare to be Different podcast. My name is Dr. Nick Despotidis, and I've committed to interviewing who I view are the movers and shakers in our profession. Today, I have the unique pleasure of interviewing Dr. Mikey D'Angelo. Mikey did our VT residency several years ago, so she's gotten to know our practice extremely well, and I've gotten to know her extremely well. So in lieu of a bio, I'm going to let Mikey describe her venture into private practice. Mikey, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. First, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, you and Dr. Tannen are like my optometry dad, so I am so proud to be on your podcast. Yeah. Uh, my history to optometry is sort of unique. I actually started my college career thinking I was going to be an accountant, hmm. and I quickly learned that that was just not for me, right? I, I sort of made the decision because I was good at math and science. Uh, right. So I just said, let's go for it. And I quickly switched to science. And then I I really knew even at you know 18 years old, I didn't want to do the traditional medical route. I really okay. uh, knew I didn't want to start my life at, at 30. So that left me with eyes, teeth, <laughs> or feet. Um, and feet quickly got off that list, teeth okay. too. So I went towards optometry. And I uh, had the opportunity to shadow in a vision therapy clinic as a undergrad. And it sort of changed the whole trajectory of my life because it it really sparked this bug in me. And where I went to undergrad at Pace University, they had a 3-4 program with SUNY Optometry. Oh. So I entered that program a little bit late. Uh, I was actually in my second year of undergrad, but they accepted me on the spot. So I Uh, got the opportunity to just do three years of undergrad and I jumped right into optometry school. And like I said, I went into optometry school knowing that I wanted to do vision therapy. And that sort of, like I said, just snowballed my whole career and then ended up at your residency and then opening up my own vision therapy practice. And here we are, it will be open seven years next month. That's incredible. You know, let's back up a few things. I didn't know about you having that kind of condensed educational background. I do remember when we were recruiting applicants for our residency, you were well sought after. I mean, I think you applied to a few and Dr. Tannen was jockeying for you to to apply to our residency. Why a residency? Why don't you tell us why you chose to do a residency as opposed to, like you said, you didn't want to be older when you graduate. Why did you choose a residency? Well, I think once I got into school and I was super young, I, I graduated optometry school when I was 24. And I felt like I needed that extra year for the residency to really grow my clinical knowledge base, but also solidify who I was as a doctor. And I felt like it was a good year where I could kind of jump, but also have a little bit of support in my growth as a clinician. Um, For me, 
it like I said, the 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 residency was sort of my idea of doing it was sort of surface level. But what I realize now, especially seven years later, is that that residency year was so critical in helping me develop who I was, not only as a clinician, but as a person um, and how I wanted to practice. And that is something that I don't think that people realize that a residency year can do for you. Um, and I, that's why I really think it's important. And it's important what type of residency you choose, right? I chose private practice because I always had a pull towards potentially owning my own business versus someone who chooses a residency in a veterans uh, hospital, right? right? That sets a different trajectory for your career. Right. Um, and that's, like I said, the residency year for me, my choice was that I really wanted to grow as a clinician. And I felt like that was the catalyst to do that. Okay. So you, you choose a private practice residency. We actually spent a year together. That was about 2005. When, when did you uh, start? 2000, no, 2014. Four. 13 14, to 14, excuse me, yeah. 2014. So at 2014, you did the residency. And did you uh, go into private practice right away? It was soon thereafter. Yeah. So I, uh, as soon as I finished, I worked for another private practice, uh, trying to integrate vision therapy into an existing private practice. Okay. And we can have a whole episode about the challenges of doing that. Uh, right. And it just wasn't uh, working. Uh, personally, right. professionally, it just didn't jive. Um, okay. So my uh, now partner and I said, Hey, what are you doing? Uh, let's open a practice. And it was, it, it was very, it was that simple in the sense of I knew, and I was so passionate about vision therapy and rehabilitation and not wavering from wanting to provide that service. And the only option I really had was I had to create it myself. And that's what we did. And that was about a year or two after you finished the residency program. It was less than, um, we, yeah. So I, I finished the residency the end of June, 2014. And we, um, started the process of opening the office in March, 2015. And then we were open August, 2015, a you very know, quick, very quick. And I got to tell you in hindsight, I agree with you. I did a residency myself to grow my knowledge base on vision therapy, just coincidentally, but it gave me a year to kind of give me time to plan things out of what I wanted to be when I grew up, so mm -hmm. to speak, you know, and I think that's something that people don't realize a residency does. Otherwise, we get on the treadmill and we start running this race, this rat race of optometry or private practice or whatever we choose to do. I think both of us, because your experience with your partner is very similar to Barry and myself, coincidentally or not. We, we practiced for about a year right after our residency programs. And then before we knew it, we said, you know, let's start planning this out. So were you nervous? You, you know, you did our residency, so you knew how our practice ran, but you must have been very apprehensive about starting cold. Did you buy records? Did you bring patients with you? No. So we were a complete cold start, complete. Okay. And I think that the only thing about being young was I was a little bit naive. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I didn't have, um, and I think a lot that you and I spoke about during my residency was that you can't have faith and fear at the same time. Right. And that is something that has stuck with me for, a very, for from when you said that to me. And I had the faith that Jess and I were, wonderful clinicians that were going to provide a service that was not out here on, I live on the Eastern end of Long Island. So th the service was just not here. And I think that 
I just was so gung ho that it was going to work. I, there was no option but to work. Where my fears came in was really almost like imposter syndrome. Once we opened right. the doors and started to make the connections, it was, you know, I looked young and I got questioned all of the time of, you're the owner of the business, you're a doctor. And it was, it was a, a struggle to really say, I know what I'm doing. And to, I had to almost fake it till I made it, uh, essentially. And when it came to deciding how to open the office, right, and what to do, uh, Dr. Lacazzi and I really said to ourselves, okay, what do we want our practice to look like? When we're open for 10 years, what does it look like? Right, right. And then we sort of worked backwards um, to kind of implement those those pieces to the puzzle to get to where we want to be. Um, but there was a lot of faith more than fear when we were opening. Uh, and it, like I said, it might have been that we were just a little naive and didn't know the the other option, but we we knew that we were going to be successful no matter what. Yeah. One of the, the analogies I use in uh, uh, during the supercharge course, and I want to remind you of a story you probably don't even remember is that I run a crazy practice and Mikey got to experience it. And I got this brainwave that I'm going to have my staff break boards because I wanted to do it during the workshop. And I said, let me see how this works out first with my staff. Anybody's going to hurt themselves. And the analogy is you can't have faith that you're going to break the board at fear that you're not going to break the board at the same time. you got to make a decision. I'm going to go through the board. I'm going to be successful in practice or I'm not. And I had my karate instructor come here. Do you remember this? I remember. <laughs> and we're all in a circle. And some uh, women and men much bigger than you. As a matter of fact, Dr. Lee couldn't break the board on the first attempt. Mm -hmm. But when you went to break the board, I remember this specifically. You went to punch the board. You, it was supposed to be a palm <laughs> heel strike, meaning you break the board with your palm. Right. And I remember you're just you have your hand in the fist and the instructor, whoa, 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 open hand, open hand. And here you are. I'm assuming you have no karate background, right? Zero. But this is you. This is yeah. your personality trait is that you go, you have faith, you make a decision, you go. And it's gotten you in trouble in time. And we'll talk about that, trying to balance your family and your practice life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that that analogy is very good. And, and I think the listeners should benefit from it. We all have fear. But you have to have this vision. And the few people that I've interviewed to date have talked about the vision that drove them through the fear. And I think that's what you're getting through to the listeners. Yep. So now take me, you open up and a year in, you must be saying, holy moly, what did I get myself into? Because tell me, your practice is very unique. Uh, you dared to be different. What's different about your practice? So the biggest difference is that we decided to open cold without an optical. And when I talked to my colleagues, when we were starting, they thought I was crazy. They were saying, how could you have an optometry office without an optical? That's bread and butter optometry. Right. How could you not do it? And the reason why we chose not to was twofold. One was because Dr. L, Jessica, and I had absolutely no interest in optical. And I felt that if we were going to do that, one of us had to spearhead that branch of our office. Right. And if we were going to do it, we had to do it well. And unfortunately, optometry school really doesn't prepare you for running an optical. It's essentially a business and you know, you know, a retail business. Yeah. And we really didn't have any desire to do that, to hire an optician, to get, it, it just didn't make sense for us. 
And the second reason was because in my area, there are a ton of corporate optometry locations. Literally in a two-mile radius, there's a Walmart, a BJ's, a Costco, a Pearl Vision, a Cohen's, at private optometry offices. And I said to myself, what would make me different? Why would they come to me versus Cohen's um, mm-hmm. that is, can give you better prices than I could? And I and Jess and I really sat down and said, this doesn't make sense for us. We stepped back and said, what is going to make the the most sense in our practice? We're creating this vision. And for us, the optical didn't make sense. Uh, and here we are seven years later, and we still don't have an optical and no plans to add one in. What we have created is really great relationships within our community with opti- uh, uh, private opticals, as well as some of the corporate locations that have opticians in there that understand our prescriptions and how we write them. And wow. we've created this phenomenal relationship. And to be honest with you, I've gotten a ton of referrals back from those opticians because they know that I know how to refract really well. <laughs> and when, when they have a problem patient, they send them to me. Um, so it's been a really great uh, decision on our end to not have an optical in the office. What else is different about your practice? That's one big thing. And I want to capitalize on that. And when I say dare to be different, you know, a lot of us know that an optical should be a staple to the practice, but it's a distraction. And one of the things you and I always talked about, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And if you really wanted a specialty care practice, the optical would be as much of a distraction as as it was a potential profit center in your business. But the the fact of the matter is you dare to be different. You had the courage to do it. I would say 99% of ODs opening cold, especially, would include an optical in it. So that's number one. Number two, what else is very different about your practice? I would say the biggest, the other big thing um, was, and the, the big conversation that Dr. L and I had was that we chose to be very judicial about our hours that we were open. Um, We said our two things were that we weren't going to have an optical and that we weren't going to be open on Saturdays. Again, blasphemy for an optometry practice, right? Especially VT, sure. Yeah, but we... And this comes back to during our residency year, you and I spoke a lot about my core values and what was important to me. And the biggest thing to me is family and being present with my family. And at the time of opening my office, I didn't have kids, but I knew that's something that I I really wanted and strive wanted to strive for. And uh, Jess and I really align on that, that family is the most important. And for us, working Saturdays, again, didn't fit into our, the life that we wanted to create. And um, we've stuck to that. And even so, when we first opened our hours, we were here on Mondays and Tuesdays until seven. As both my partner and I's families have grown, our hours have actually shortened because we, my children go to bed at seven. (laughs) So I wanted to be home. So now we are just open until five. We're open nine to five, and that's what has worked uh, for us. Have we lost some patience because of that? I'm sure. But at the end of the day, we have created a practice that fuels our life and not a practice that runs our life. And that's really the key um, when you're daring to be different. Yeah, the, you gave me goosebumps because you know we've talked about this, and now you're 
repeating the words that we discussed years ago, right? Optometry should feed our lives, but it shouldn't be our lives, certainly shouldn't dictate it. And that's that's an amazing. I'm in awe of it that you're seven years into a practice, you never opened up weekends, you don't have a dispensary, you close um, at five, correct? Mm-hmm. Something I took me 30 years, 30 years to achieve. How about insurance? Do you accept insurance? Do you accept vision plans? Obviously you don't, probably no. not. Do you accept vision plans? So the only vision plan that we do accept is iMed because you can okay. split the benefits. We do do contact okay. lenses here. So okay. we do have iMed. I would say we see maybe that's like maybe like 2% of our practice. We don't okay. see very many of them. We do accept insurance, very limited. We accept the three big uh, insurances that uh, take that cover vision therapy. So we accept okay. Medicare, Aetna and Blue Cross Blue Shield. Okay. Um, that hasn't changed. Uh, we've, we've had conversations about potentially dropping um, some of those private insurances because reimbursements really are ever changing. Uh, but right now we're not making any changes to that. We, one of our biggest referral sources is actually a concussion center and orthopedic group, and they work a lot with workman's comp and no fault. Okay. So initially we were hesitant to take that insurance, but because of the referral source, we have started um, accepting that those insurances and we figured out a system to make it not so administratively taxing. Um, But uh, it's been really great. And like I said, it really stemmed from how strong that referral relationship was. It made the most sense to to go on to that insurance panel. And again, I think it's really um, weighing the options for uh, your practice, what makes the most sense, what makes sense for my practice might not make sense for yours. But like I said, this referral source is humongous. It's our biggest referral source that we work with. uh, And they, they, deal a lot with workers comp and um, no fault. So we by proxy have done the same. Okay. So do you do marketing like a website marketing, Google, Google, Google optimization and things like that? It sounds to me like you network a lot, your referrals, you earn those referrals. I'm sure they just don't send patients to you. Why don't you expand? Yeah. So our, I will tell you our single biggest mistake that we made when we opened our practice cold was doing print ads. We spent, I can't even, I don't even want to say the number, tens of thousands of dollars in print ad. And I think, again, it works for certain practices, especially if you have an optical and you could put a coupon in, right? 10% off of your first pair of glasses, that'll bring people into your office. Ours, we didn't have that. It was like grand opening twin forks optometry. People were flipping right past that. And what we found was the the most bang for our buck was our time going Mm. to visit every person in every doctor, every physician, every therapist in the area to get to know who we were. Now we, we, I, we called it our world tour. We called office (laughs) managers, we called and we, we went and I think the difference was that we actually saw people face to face so that they could put a face to the name and we can connect with them. And we got out into the community and we went to the library. We went to the fairs. We did all of those things. And now we're not doing as much of in the community going to these things, but we are in constant communication with our referral sources, right? We get that, uh, we send them reports back, we talk to them on the phone, and we really try to keep that connection. And if if they call me to do them a favor, say they really need want to get a patient in, I go, I bend over backwards to right, get them in. Right, right. And I think that's, you know, 
you people value you in how you value them. And that's the relationship that you have to create with your referral sources. And I will tell you that big referral source, that orthopedic group, it was not an easy one to get. I called that office every month for about eight months. Wow. They did not want to meet with me. Right. Finally, they sent me one patient. I still remember the patient. I remember him coming in. And as soon as he left, I wrote his report. I faxed it over. And the next day I had a phone call from their office manager. We'd like for you to come in and meet us. But wow. it was the persistence of this is what we do. I'd love to meet you. And uh, now full circle, here we are. But it took a long time to garner that relationship. And yep. th that's the important thing. If you want it, you got to keep going for it. Absolutely. And unfortunately, we don't have that drive, all of us. Maybe it was the vision, maybe it was your character, but you're 100% right. And, and I think the big difference between vision therapy, subspecialty, and orthokeratology is my relationships are with my patients. And they refer to me, their friends and their family. And I treat them just like you with tremendous respect, tremendous urgency. So when they have a request, I get back to him instantaneously with vision therapy, both you and Dr. Tannen. I notice your referral base is the professionals who refer to you mm -hmm. and you got to treat them with respect and urgency and persistence. Mm -hmm. So, so true. You know, how many people would have stopped after one, two times? I think I would, I'm not going to bother them. And you kept on being persistent. Mm -hmm. And once they so sent you a patient, you seize that opportunity. And it seems like, so you've grown not by marketing or the way you, not by advertising, I should say, mm -hmm. the way you market is you go out there and you meet people face to face. You help their patients. Obviously you mm -hmm. communicate with them. Yep. And that, that's, that's exactly it. And you, like I said, you, you just, you show them what, you can do and then follow up. And it's that simple. And our other big referral source actually is a neurology group. And I, again, a patient came in with her husband, she was dizzy. And I remember the, the husband was asking very pointed questions. And throughout the exam, I was like, hmm. he has to be something. Right. And I could, I said, <laughs> like, he's asking too good of questions. He knows too much. Right. And it ended up being, he was a neurologist with a dizzy wife and he couldn't fix her. Right. And he heard about us through the grapevine, through one of his patients desperate. that desperate came in. We ended up working with her, completely took away her dizziness. Oh and my gosh. that was he again, he spoke and he invited us to his office to speak right. with his neurologist and his physical therapist that work for vestibular therapy. And it, it, it like I said, it, it really is about just getting out there and, and speaking with people that maybe don't know about what you do. People don't know what OrthoK is. Right, OrthoK right. has been around for 20 years. I know. And people still, my pediatrician just the other day said to me, did you know that there's this contact lens that you sleep in at nighttime? I said, yes. Um, so it's really just uh, creating those relationships and, and also upkeeping those relationships and don't taking them and not taking them for granted. That is great. That's great. I want to tell you a quick story because it reminds me of your experience. And it's important for the listeners to hear this. This is pretty simple stuff. You visit offices, you develop relationships in person, and you need persistence, but it's not easy. I know Barry, uh, his son had just joined our office. 
with our therapist. He goes, visits a neurologist. He was invited there by their PT that works with this neurologist. He shows up at 7.30 in the morning with donuts, with his son by his side, with our therapist. And the neurologist goes, what are you doing here? Very rudely, abruptly, this six foot seven neurologist says, you know, uh, basically, I have no need for you treating him like a salesperson. And he had five minutes to basically find a patient that had it in common. And that five minutes, that embarrassment, that uncomfortable feeling has turned into a tremendous referral source because they were there. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm trying to educate you on what I can do for your patients that right. possibly you can help. So wow. it's very similar instance, but it was very embarrassing for him. He's there. His son just graduated his residency, the therapist. And it's like, what are you doing here? You know, very right. abruptly, same kind of instance, but that persistence has paid off now years later to right. a very strong referral source, a strong relationship, I should say. Right, right. I can't imagine because I think that a lot of people in that instance would have squirreled away and yeah. just said, I'm so sorry. I, I don't need here's to bother your you. Donuts. Let me just, yeah, yeah. Here's your donuts. I'm just going to, I'm going to retreat back. Here's my but, cards, donuts. And, you know, somehow overcame that uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. So that, that's a great story. You mentioned ortho K. Do you do ortho K? I have never asked you this. Um, so it's interesting that you say that because, um, we've, we've talked about doing it a lot. Um, and just recently I've had a, a handful of patients that I started talking to about it. So it's actually been something, I think when Dr. L, uh, just gets back, she just finished maternity leave that we're going to figure out how to start to implement it. I there's a, a doctor that's about 45 minutes away that I've been referring to, uh, okay. but on the anatomy of the East end of Long Island is if they're coming from Montauk, it's about an hour and 20 minutes from me. So that physician that's 45 minutes for me is almost two hours for them. And so it really is a need out here. Um, and it, I, again, it's something that has always interests me, but I haven't had like the, the, the jump to do it. And I, right. it's, I've, I've been getting the itch to add kind of something else to the practice. So well, stay, stay tuned. I may be, a, uh, coming to supercharge uh, soon next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, you've lived supercharged. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to give you the good and the bad. Obviously, there's a huge opportunity and, and you've seen how much we've done with it here. But like the dispensary, it's a huge distraction. I'm a mm -hmm. big proponent of focus wins out. Yes, you will increase revenue, but you can't do you can do anything right, but you can't do everything. Right. And unless Jess takes this over your partner, Right. I don't know because your your VT part of the practice will suffer. You just don't have enough bandwidth to do right. it. Well, and that's that's always been our hesitancy, right? Is like we were really yeah. so focused on the VT rehab specialty, right. but you know, it's one of those things that these patients. I've had so many much inquiry right. in the in the past few weeks and months. I'm like, it's like one of those things. Like, am I? is this like my sign to jump into it? You know? And I, I, like I said, we're, we're not making any decisions until Jess gets back from maternity leave. Well, I think that's a great decision. You know? Um, <laughs> well, I think, I think that, but that is sometimes I think what patient, what uh, practitioners make the mistake of is that they get this bug and then they start this new thing because right. they're excited about it. Right. But then they don't think all the way through it. And right. then that just kind of tapers out. And then they have this new dry eye, right? A, a rep comes with this new dry eye device. Let me try that. That's right. And I think that to be successful, you really have to be thoughtful about what 
you're doing in your practice and your time and what you're offering your patients. It's great if you have all of these things to offer them, but it's it falls short if you're not doing it well. And Absolutely. that's really something to consider as a practitioner. And I feel it falls short on both ends, you know, because it dilutes your focus in the office. So all it does is frustrate you and your staff if you're trying to be everything to everyone. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you're not giving the highest level of care when you're providing it, in my opinion, when you're trying to be everything to everyone. So just to give you a bit of advice, I just can't help myself. I wouldn't have you taken on if Jess is open to it and as enthusiastic as, as you are, she should definitely bring it in, but has to let go of something, some vision plan, some health plan, some soft contact lenses in lieu of it. And I think you'll be greatly rewarded. I think for you taking it on, it may at the end, just frustrate you more than anything Mm -hmm. else, but that's neither here or there. (laughs) Why don't you tell me a little bit about some of the things you struggle with? How many children do you have? So I have three beautiful babies. Mm -hmm. I have a four-year-old named Daisy. I have a son, John Anthony, who's two and a half. And then I have a daughter, Rose, who is six months. And it's a little months, six months. months. You look beautiful. It's amazing. Six months. And your partner just had a baby. Mm Mm-hmm. And how yep. many children does she have? She has two. So her son, Teddy, is also two and a half. And uh, her she just had her daughter literally last week on Friday. Uh, one of the challenges was that uh, Dr. L and I uh, had babies, had John Anthony and Teddy within three weeks of each other. Wow. That was not planned, obviously. Um, that it That was a little bit of a big stressor in the office, uh, sure. to be honest, because... Uh, John Anthony was my second, but Teddy was uh, Dr. L's first, and I I felt uh, terribly guilty. I had I struggled with this because I didn't want her to feel pressured to come back to the office quickly because I was out after her, um, and I I really a, a lot during my pregnancy, and she was well, a lot of them during my pregnancy was. I didn't want her to feel stressed and not enjoy her time with her sure. firstborn. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we we sort of just worked through it. We both um, we did both come back fairly quickly. We came back about eight weeks after we both had our sons, um, but it worked out. But uh, y- you know, it it was a, I think the biggest challenge thus far in our practice together was that uh, she had Teddy. I had John Anthony. And then the first week I was back full time and we were running up and running full time. The pandemic hit. And financially for the office, that was really hard. Um, you know, coming off of back to back maternities, right? Our schedules were down. We had uh, we had a, a fill in doctor, but they weren't here full time. Uh, and then we hit the pandemic and we had to close the office for another 11 weeks that was really, really difficult. Um, and I don't think that I would have, uh, persevered through that really difficult time without having Jess as my partner. Uh, she and I, uh, really align on so many things and it was so critical to have that communication during all of that time, coming up with a plan, being supportive of one another. And that really was something, uh, that I'm so grateful for that I had a partner and a partner that I could trust during that very rocky time. And I'm sure those listening, I'm sure they didn't have back-to-back maternity leaves before the pandemic, but um, how the pandemic affected everybody. So uh, the, the relationship with your partner is so critically important. Yeah. Yeah. Just before we talk about partnerships, mm-hmm. 
tell me a little bit about that. So you had your second baby, Jessica had her first baby, and that's within weeks or months of the pandemic, correct? Mm -hmm. And how did you handle that? You know, what did you do? Did you take action? Were you paralyzed? Give me a little bit of 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 things. Did, did you just stay home and just pray things got better? I, um, I doubt if you did. Uh, well, uh, if you ask my husband, he gave me about a week of a pity party. I was, <laughs> uh, and then he said to me, Mikey, get strap your boots on. What are we going to do? What do you, you don't, you can't just flounder here. You got to take action. And what we did was um, one, we started a podcast um, mm -hmm. at, during that time. And that really was something that really kept Jess and I connected with our patients wow. and kept us, you know, something to, to feel like we were doing something during that time. And we really worked on honing in on systems in our office how to garner patients and to the relationships. You know, our practice is unique in the sense that we do vision therapy. We need to see patients um, <laughs> in the office. Yeah. You know, we did some virtual therapy, but it really was about um, figuring out our action plan for when we opened okay. and how to be, how to hit the ground running to get things running smoothly and just get patients in. Because the other unique thing is that we need to see patients for evaluations to then fuel our vision therapy practice, right. Right? right? So during that 10 weeks, we weren't getting any new patients in. So there was a lag of, there was a, a, a time where once we opened the office, there was patients in our seats, but there, we had a lag of new patients coming in. Sure. Um, but the, what I, the, I think the biggest thing that I learned personally and professionally during that time was that I couldn't do it all right. in the sense that, I had to work on the practice during designated time and I had to be mom during designated time because I was trying to do both, right? I was trying to talk with Jess and, and figure things out while I had one baby nursing on me and one clawing at my foot and everybody was losing out. I felt like a bad mom. I felt like a bad employer, employer and a, a bad partner. And I quickly realized that I had to almost compartmentalize. And, you know, the days that I was doing the office stuff, I was Dr. Mikey. When I was home, I was mom. And that has really uh, followed me through all of this time since that, that, that pandemic, right? I added another baby in and it's only increased, right? That balance, I, I struggle with it. Even just this morning, I was struggling getting sure. everything together. Right. Um, but I find that when I am at one thing, if I'm fully present, I can work hard and and be who I need to be for that task. I can be Dr. Mikey. And then when I get home, I flip that hat. Uh, immediately I get home and I'm mom. I put my phone away and I don't think about work when I'm with my kids because I you have to be present in what you're doing in order to to feel fulfilled and to feel successful in, in that, that exactly what you're doing. And, and that was a hard lesson for you, wasn't it? Because you're the individual, you can do everything mm -hmm. and you can do everything incredibly well. I'm sure you did. You know, you finished optometry school in seven years. You did your residency. You started your practice less than a year later. That was a hard lesson, wasn't it? That you can't do everything. Mm -hmm. It's, and it's, it's a, big pill to swallow. And like I said, if I'm being honest, it's a lesson that I keep having to learn right. that I keep 
having to readjust, right? Some days I have to be more mom than, than Dr. Mikey. And it it's hard and it's never perfect, but it's something when you're consciously aware of what's important to you and you're consciously aware of your time and your energy, you can better direct it. And it's easy to just get caught up and to just be in the rat race and feel stressed all the time and to, to not identify what's going on. But by taking a step back, and like you said, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And oftentimes it's those things that are the most important to you. Right, right. So by figuring out what is most important to you, you can then structure your day and your time accordingly. And again, it's never perfect, but it's um, when you when you really can step back and know what's important to you, that that really makes a big difference in everything. Yeah, I agree. It's never perfect and it's never ending. It's not like, okay, this is I've segmented my life. It's a constant juggling act. But I think what has made you successful is that you're grounded in your values. You know, you you didn't open Saturdays, right? That was a strong value of yours. You decided to to finish your day at 5 p.m. because you could spend time with your family. And I remember before you were even married, you would share those values with me. You wanted to eat dinner with your family every night. And I said, oh, Mikey, that's going to be tough in optometry because a lot of our evenings are occupied with patient care, but you did it. So when you did develop this vision that you had concerning your family, you could see you set your practice up to feed that. Just like you said, it just was not easy, was it? No, not easy. And and, and again, it's, a, it's still, it, 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 you know, it, it's not, it's just not easy. Um, but really knowing what's important to you really helps to drive that because, uh, you know, I, I, I remember a lot during what we talked about was that you always said, like, if you feel like internal discourse, it's likely because you're doing something that doesn't align with your values. That's correct. And that again, for the listeners listening, when I tell you my residency year with Dr. Tannen and Dr. D and Dr. Lee was so important in helping me develop who I wanted to be and my career, it, it, it it's incredible how much the things that we spoke about back then um, really have stayed with me. Uh, you know, during the process of what we talked about, Dr. D, I hated it. I was like, oh, I got to meet with Dr. D this week. He's going to make me talk about <laughs> right. my, my death and my, my, you know, my obituary. And I don't know. And um, it was so difficult, but it, it really has set the stage for me to live a fulfilled and happy life. And that's what it's about. It's, you know, we're not put on this earth to work. It's really about making life that makes sense for you. And the, and the reason also, uh, I know we were going to maybe talk about partnership now, but why Dr. L and I, and, or Jess and I work so well is because we align on our core values. If she valued money over family, our schedule wouldn't work. She That's would right. become resentful of me that That's I wanted right. to be done at five, yeah. but we align on family is the most important thing. Our health is the most important thing. And that's really allowed for our relationship to grow and to flourish and to provide, you know, our practice uh, to be successful. Right. And I would go one step further. It's, it's not only your values that you share, it's your commitment to your values. Cause I think everybody says family comes first, uh, health comes first, 
but that commitment to those values get diluted very quickly. It's like, well, I'm doing this for my family. That's why I'm working late. That's why I'm doing X, Y, Z. And the, the honesty that you shared with us is in us all. I felt I wasn't doing a great job as a spouse, as a dad, as a mom, as a as a, a partner, as a business owner, we all feel that. But somehow you always gravitated back to your core values. Mm -hmm. And I think people ask me, why are we successful? Barry, Ivan, myself, it's we were lucky that we share those same values and we walk our talk. You know, you had the pandemic. That was the real test of your partnership, right? Is when the money was low, money wasn't coming in, you're you're physically worn out, you're mentally worn out. That's when the dark side comes out in mm -hmm. partnerships in, yep. and not only business partnerships and relationships yep. yet you endured this like barry and i did remember 22 years ago during the the um, anthrax mm -hmm. fiasco where we we were just broke for months on end yep it was an easy time for us to turn on one another but fortunately we supported one another like you yeah. said as opposed to just pick at one another yeah. And it, you know, like I said, it really solidified for me that Jess was the right person to do yeah. this with. And I have so much love and respect for her. Uh, and, you know, it's like, it's like a marriage, you know, like we, you know, and, and like you said, it really, it's those low times that really yes. um, have you realize uh, the commitment that you both have and the support that you both have. And, you know, and as much as I could talk to my husband about how I was feeling about the office, right. he really couldn't understand right. the same way that Jess could. Right. And we really elevated each other. And we've, we've create, we, there's just this undeniable bond and love and respect for each other that goes far beyond just being business partners. And right. um, it's really something special. And I think that that's something um, that's different about us as well, is that we really, and truly, you know, I wouldn't say Jess and I are best friends, you know, we don't hang out on the weekends, you know, right. but, but, but we have this love and respect for each other as partners. And we know, she knows my strengths, and I know hers. And we really, play to both of those to create a successful relationship and a successful practice. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, and I, I, we're the same right here. It's kind of like, we don't hang out, but we have tremendous respect and we're better together as a mm -hmm. part, as opposed to individual pieces. Yep. Absolutely. So that's a great bit of advice to people there is that you have to learn it. Do you play well with others? And you have to realize that you both can't be chiefs in the same department. Mm -hmm. So I think Barry and I are very successful. And Ivan is we all uh, supervise different areas of the practice and we give our, each other autonomy to do it. And we support each other during the mistakes, which there are many of them, <laughs> and also our successes. And I have one great uh, faith for you is that we notice Barry and I and Ivan, as we've gotten older and our kids have gotten older, it's like dividend reinvesting. You're investing in your family now, but you're also building your practice. Once the kids get older, your priorities can change. Your The weight of those priorities can go back into the business mm -hmm. because your kids will hopefully be independent. And now our practice, you know, 30 years later, 35 years later is growing exponentially because we can, it correlates to the time we spent with our family early on. Right. And also the amount of time we have to, to apply to our businesses as well. So there's a lot of uh, positive ahead of you. I, yes, I and it's good to hear that because uh, Jess and I, right before she was going out on maternity, we were talking about how we 
have all these ideas and things that we want to do with the practice. We want right. to grow the practice. Do we want a second location? Where do we want to do? And then we both looked at each other and we were like, it's just not the right time. It's, not the right it's time. just not the right time. You know, we obviously want to continue to grow the business, but those big ventures that can branch out, you really have to step back and look at the timing. And right. um, it, it always goes back to, if you say yes to something, you saying no to something, something else. else. And um, that's, that's always, like I said, there's a few nuggets of like Dr. D that are in my head. And that's, that, that's, that's a, a big scary one. Thing. Yeah. That's a scary thing. Especially for someone like me, that is a yes person, right? Yeah. I am a people pleaser. Yes, I'll do it. I'll take it on. I could do it. Uh, so it's really being judicial with your time. That's important. Yeah. Well, tell me about your podcast. Uh, you know, I was on it twice. Can you give us the, the name of the podcast? Where can listeners, um, you know, hear it? Yeah. So our podcast is called Vision is More Than 2020. You can find it on any streaming service, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Oh, and Dr. D is holding and up the And I was on Mikey's podcast and look what she sent me. I mean, <laughs> it's just a very, very thoughtful gift that I share every morning with my tea. I love that. Um, and it's really the idea of the podcast is just education and that we are teaching people that there is so much more to seeing than just seeing 2020, seeing clearly. And I think what is unique to our podcast is it's not just optometrists that listen. It is patients, parents, other professionals, because we've had all different types of people on the podcast. We've had that orthopedic group on. We've had neurologists on. I had the quarterback coach for the Bengals on, um, wow. you know, really talking all about vision and how it plays a role in our life. And uh, it really has been a wonderful venture for uh, Jess and I. And we have something like, I don't know, I think like over 20,000 downloads on the podcast, which wow. is exciting. Uh, so I would be honored if you guys uh, tuned in and listened, or if anybody wants to be a guest, please reach out to me. Um, but it really is such a wonderful avenue uh, for me to really share what I'm so passionate about. And that's just getting people clear, comfortable, efficient vision and really living their life to the fullest with no hindrance from their visual system. And that all came from the pandemic, right? The lowest time in your business life Mm -hmm. uh, that device that you didn't go under, you didn't go in the dark during the pandemic and you have 20,000 downloads. It's uh, that's incredible. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I had toyed with the idea for a long time and I just never had the, the time. Yeah. So the pandemic afforded me that little extra time to learn how to do it. And, uh, it, it's been something that I, I'm so grateful. Sometimes good things come out of bad situations, and that's yeah, one of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank God for that. Yeah. Mikey, thanks so much. I can't thank tell you. you, you epitomize the dare to be different philosophy. Uh, there's a lot of success ahead of you, and it's a challenge for all of us. And I really appreciate you making the time to share your experience with everyone. So thank you. And for everyone, thank you for joining this podcast. I have a lineup of, of great people like Mikey that I'm going to interview in the future. Until next time, have a good night. Bye-bye.